Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City, and I just want to offer a special welcome to you. If it's your first time with us this morning, whether here in person or joining us online this morning, we are actually going to be wrapping up today our last of, of four uh, sermons, um, walking through uh, faithful Christian, Christian engagement in, in politics. We think it's important for us as a church to be talking about what it looks like for us as Christians to engage with just the craziness that's going on around us, and, and really that, that goes around us every four years, um, and, and how we can honor Jesus well in the midst of that. And, and we haven't been, and, and we won't talk about who we think you should vote for, as if there is one party that represents Christians, and all Christians should vote for uh, the same person. We're actually going to talk a little bit about how that's not the case today, as we kind of wrap the sermon series up um, but we think it's important that we don't shy away from this topic um, uh, in this election season. So we're going to be wrapping that up today, right in time uh, for the election here in just a couple of days. Um, because we, we do think it's important for you to be able to uh, engage with this, we're trying to come up with different opportunities for you to ask questions. We realize not every question you may have would get covered in one of these sermons. So we are going to uh, continue. We're going to do one more week of this Instagram Live um, and then we'll post it on YouTube later on, Instagram Live uh, question time. Uh, that'll be Thursday at 4 o'clock. If you would like to submit a question, I'll try to get to it on, at Thursday at 4 o'clock on Instagram. Go to redcitychurch.org. There should be a link for that as well, uh, on, the, on the page. And, and uh, like Julie talked about earlier this morning, uh, we would love it if you would join us for prayer on Tuesday night at 9.30. Um, I think, listen, we're, a lot of us are going to be huddled around our TVs. We're going to be kind of anxiously awaiting the results of the election, although you know, we might not get them Tuesday night or, or at least not till really early, you know, early Wednesday morning or something like that. But we, we think it, you know, as we kind of are, are waiting for the results to come in, we think it's important for us to gather and pray about that, to, to sort of uh, call our hearts to remembrance of the one who holds all things in his hands and um, in, in uh, hopeful anticipation that he will, uh, he will um, be, be holding us safe no matter what the results of the election are that night or the next day. So please join us for that, like Julie said, um, on the website, uh, redcitychurch.org. You can find a Zoom link for that, 9.30 on Tuesday evening. So this is our last sermon in the series, like I said, and I really want to get into, when, when I plan this series out, actually, you know, we've been playing this series, we, I usually try to go in before, before a year starts and try to at least plot out and get a good idea of what all the sermons will look like. And so last, last fall, late fall, when I was kind of trying to plot the year out, I thought, okay, it'll be great, we'll have the last sermon on politics where I'll talk, try to give some considerations and advice for people as they're thinking through how, who they vote for, how they cast their ballot. Um, I'll have that last Sunday right before the election where I'll try to give them the good stuff right before that. And then, of course, I realize most of you have probably already voted <laughs> as I come to this, unfortunately, because of how uh, our election is working this year with COVID. But I hope what, what I talk through this... Um, this morning is still going to be sort of helpful for you um, in, in, in future elections. I don't think it's just limited to this election alone. So, so like I said, I wanted today just kind of end the series by, by talking about five sort of 
kingdom considerations for us as Christians as we kind of decide how we're going to vote in an election. Um, But before I I get into those, we kind of have to talk about the complex environment that we find ourselves in. And we've we've hinted at this a little bit, but what what makes it so difficult, I think, or one of the things that makes it so difficult for us to navigate uh, 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 voting is the really partisan environment that we find ourselves in. Um, And so um, we have to kind of start out with talking about how Christians should approach this sort of partisanship, which a lot of times Christians find themselves wrapped up in on one side or the other. How do we deal with it within our churches? How do we deal with thinking through it? That's what we're going to talk a little bit about um, today as we we get started off, okay? So when I talk about partisanship, what I'm really talking about is sort of we almost have two countries in one country today, right? Partisanship is not just about every four years or maybe every two years, if you're a little bit more engaged in elections, you decide to go vote for a Democrat or Republican. Uh, We're really talking about kind of two bubbles that have almost been created within one country. Uh, We're talking about two groups of people who kind of view the world differently because of experiences that they have or places that they live. We're finding that more and more that is a huge impact on the partisan political environment that we find ourselves in. And David Wasserman, he's a, he's a political writer, writes for the Cook Political Report. He's written on this extensively for really the last decade. He, he talks about how when you dig into polling information, you find out how different districts each year vote. You find that pretty much every district that has a cracker barrel, the cracker barrel, the... the, the um, Yeah, some of you guys know what Cracker Barrel is, right? A lot of people maybe don't, but you have to kind of live in a rural area to know Cracker Barrel. But almost every district that has a Cracker Barrel in it votes Republican. And almost every district that has a Whole Foods in it votes Democrat. Okay, so what does Cracker Barrel and Whole Foods have to do with voting? Nothing, really, unless you think about it in a bigger picture standpoint of saying, like, kind of the elements that make Cracker Barrel what it is and what make Whole Foods what it is sort of contribute to different ways that people sort of view the world. Uh, They represent different bubbles that we live in. And so we have people that shop in the same place as each other and, and, and live in the same neighborhoods as each other, and they start to form a different view of the world than the other people who are shopping and living in totally different environments. And that, of course starts to create this sort of kind of fracture within the country to where there are not any forces that are really unifying people together anymore. You can even find this in television shows. Like if you, uh, there was a study done after 2016 that said um, even that like there are Trump TV shows and Hillary TV shows that you can find. Like pretty much all, like a lot of people who watch Game of Thrones were all Hillary supporters and a lot of people who watch Walking Dead are Trump supporters. Like there was actually studies done to show that even the TV we watch is kind kind of a part of this partisan, polarized context we find ourselves in. And obviously where we get our news is a huge part of this as well. So really we're creating these sort of two separate societies almost two separate places that people even even live today and there aren't really any forces that within those two bubbles that are telling people it's good to be you know like these other people who are around you because they're not even around us if anything the forces that are acting on us in our bubbles are telling us to to push ourselves away from these groups of people and so it really just it starts to it starts to 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 kind of form how we view the world where we live and this partisanship, these kind of, these kind of two countries with, within one, I really think have started to kind of spill into the church, unfortunately. And so ask yourself, I, I want you to honestly ask yourself this question, okay? Um, do you feel like more comfortable 
around somebody who lives in your neighborhood, who shops at the same places as you, and who votes similar to you, but isn't a committed Christian, do you find that person more comfortable to be around than someone who lives in a different region than you or a different kind of uh, neighborhood than you do and who votes differently than you but is a committed Christian, has, believes all the same things that you do about who Jesus is, about who we are because of Jesus, about the cross and the resurrection. You should ask yourself that honestly. Do you, which of those two people do you find more comfort in being around and hanging out with? And I think honestly, if we ask ourselves that question honestly, a lot of us would say that first one. We would say even our Christianity a lot of times is not a thing that unites us to other Christians because because these other forces acting on us um, mean, mean a lot more to us. I'm not necessarily chastising you if, you if you ask that question and you think maybe it is that first one. I'm just trying to call you to kind of reflect on this. And this is, this is a problem with, 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 with partisan politics, okay? And so this, I want to talk about a couple of problems and realities of partisan politics. And the first one is how we reduce complexity and we sort of ingrain loyalty. Our brains are actually kind of formed to work like this. So I have a quote from Caitlin Scheiss. She wrote the book Liturgy of Politics. I talked a little bit about this book in the first sermon series, and she says this, humans don't always deal with complexity well. We live in a world with a lot of detailed information and very few resources to deal with it, right? Think about all of the things that go into, you know, quote-unquote politics today. There are just, there are huge lists of, of things that, that politics touches, right? And they all have lots of different ways to view them, and it can be overwhelming for us to look at that information and try to make sense of it, if we're being honest. And that's not a bad thing, okay? It's a complex world. We can, we can pay attention to that reality and, and, and say that it, it, it can be overwhelming or hard for us to deal with, okay? So what we do, she says, is we find ways of sort of quickly sorting and processing that information. And one key, key way we do this is by sorting people into categories. We have my people and we have other people. And those are the most foundational distinctions. Social psychologist Christina Cleveland explains that one way we conserve our limited cognitive energy is by choosing what information we'll pay attention to. Using the mental shortcut of categorizing people and avoiding the kind of information that would demand more cognitive resources to sort through. We use our categories when we want to quickly evaluate the value of a media source. Are they on my team? A commentator, is he or she one of us? Or the personality at the center of the story, is he or she like me? And so the fundamental framework of our political liturgies is loyalty. Who do you belong to and who belongs to you? That's kind of how we start to categorize the world as we, as we start to try to figure out how do we deal with all this complex stuff as we think about it in the category of loyalty. Well, this person's like me. They look like me. They live near me. And so if they say this thing, you know, we're probably on the same team. That's kind of how we really like to think about it. But as Christians, we can't, we're, we're not loyal to parties or to regions or bubbles that we live in. We're loyal to a king. And he's the same king of people who shop at Whole Foods and a Cracker Barrel, okay? He's king over both of those groups of people. And so we have to find our loyalty to him instead of the bubbles that we find ourselves in. Now, we see this sort of problem of, of distinction or partisanship. Actually, it's not like it's the first time that this has happened in the church, okay? There's actually a lot of examples in church history of this, and we actually find it uh, right away in the Bible itself, even. Paul is talking about this and how um, the, these, two these two parties are supposed to deal with each other. 
And this is, this is in Romans 14. So we're going to walk through Romans 14 a little bit this morning to talk about how Paul deals with this issue. So you have two parties, really, that have kind of formed within uh, the, the Roman church that he's writing to. You have this sort of Jewish party, whether that's culturally or ethnic Jewish people, who kind of understood Christ in very Jewish ways and are sort of living as if all of the, the things that come with being Jewish um, kind of traditionally and ethnically are, are a part of how we receive Christ. And then you have these people who are sort of culturally Gentile, uh, mostly Greek, and they understood Christ, and Christ had kind of come to them in ways that were non-Jewish, because that just wasn't their background. So they understood Jesus and how to follow him in ways that were, were non-Jewish, a little more Greek. And Paul addresses their differences in Romans 14. Here's what he says. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So he kind of talks about how there are this, this strong group of people in the church and this weak group of people. Now, the weak people here are the, the Jewish people the, who hold to these kind of kosher or Sabbath tradition food laws. And their faith is weak, Paul's saying, in the sense that the cultural traditions that are kind of attached to, to their faith, like eating in these kosher Sabbath tradition food laws, don't actually impact the gospel, don't actually impact how we receive uh, grace, okay? They're unconnected to it. And then he has this group that he calls the strong. These are people who understand that that, that stuff that the, the quote-unquote weak people are taking on is unnecessary in their accepting the gift of Christ. Okay, but here's the problem. The strong people like to let the weak people know how wrong they were, okay? And I think that that's pretty common, right? People who at least think that they're strong and have some sort of extra knowledge or understanding over the other group of people in their setting they like to let them know that, right? They like to go out of their way to kind of say, hey, you're kind of, you're kind of stupid, we know that, and we're, we're here to educate you, all right? And maybe if you, uh, if you kind of adopt our way of viewing things, you can be strong like us. Now, Paul does not want this to be the case because he's really, really concerned to make sure that the people's faith is not ruined. He wants to avoid a scenario where the weak, hearing that they're, you know, quote-unquote weak, are kind of, kind of, they lose their faith because of it. And, 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 and in Paul's mind, he says, listen, this weak form of faith is still completely valid. I don't have any issues with this, at least in this setting right here, okay? Now, we're, we always like to think of ourselves as the strong group whenever it comes to some sort of division in the church, right? We always think we're part of the strong group. We're part of the group that's really educated and knows what we're talking about. And all the other people who aren't kind of as enlightened as us, they're the weak ones who don't have all the same understanding, we have loyalty to our group, and, and, and this becomes very political, right? We have Republican Christians who can't fathom that anyone who's Christian could vote for a Democrat. And we have people who identify, Christians who identify with the Democratic Party who can't fathom that anyone in their right mind following Jesus could vote for a Republican candidate, okay? And, and probably both groups are products of their own bubbles, and I'm not here to say which of those groups is strong or weak. I'm saying I'm saying that like how Paul tells you, if you think you're part of the strong group here, how Paul tells you to respond to the group that you see as weaker is, should be our response to this. And often it's not. Often it's, it's kind of a, a sort of sneering down our nose at the other group of people. And Paul's answer is we're going to base how we approach the other group of people on the gospel. And John Barclay, in, in writing about this, he kind of sums up what Paul's response is here in this quote. He says that the only salient values for believers are those that arise from the good news, what is true in the Lord Jesus. 
and what accords with the kingdom of God. Because love, peace, and self-denying service to others are integral to this good news, Paul insists that the strong, quote-unquote, imitate Christ by bearing the burdens of the weak. Walking in love is a non-negotiable good that must be practiced at all times. So Paul says to the group who thinks of themselves as the strong ones, he says, you want to be strong? Here's what being strong looks like. Here's what being strong in the faith looks like. It looks like walking in the way that Jesus does, embodying the values of the gospel, okay? The strongest faith understands that what is at center of everything we believe is the gospel itself, and that is walking in love. It's bearing burdens uh, of others who, who, who cannot bear them on their own. It's peace, and it all for the good of those who are weaker than you, whatever that looks like. That's actually what Paul says the right response for us as Christians are if we find ourselves in this position. The foundation of what we do uh, isn't loyalty to another culture and it's not domination of another group of Christians within the church. It's bearing with them in love, giving ourselves up, sacrificially trying to uh, care for them in love. And Paul says this then to end, every, end the passage. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. He says, in this situation, it's better to keep it to yourself than to harm someone's faith or not live out the deeper values of the gospel. Now, I don't think this means never talk about it. I don't think it means keep it to yourself and, you know, in a Minnesotan way where, like, we never talk about things that might be controversial or we might don't want to step on anyone's toes. I don't think he's saying that, okay? I think that we could read it that way. But I think what he's saying is hold your tongue if it's going to harm someone else's faith and from calling someone not a Christ follower because they don't view this thing like you do. Okay? Destroying the work of God because of someone else's partisan agenda would be a huge tragedy. And I think Paul's message to the Romans is applicable to us today as Christians as we start to find this sort of partisan environment that we can't help but live in. We, it's not our fault that we've grown up in this and we're impacted by it, but we can choose to not let it divide ourselves as a church. Okay, And I think that, that it needs to be our sort of place where we start off everything when it comes to this problem is finding ourselves unifying over the gospel and being willing to bear with those who we disagree with in love because the central thing that matters to us is living like Jesus, like having the values of the gospel inform how we walk. Now, a second problem, and this is the kind of the, sec the second thing with partisanship that makes it so difficult for us to navigate all this stuff today is that you have this you have this sort of zero-sum game that gets created, okay? It, where, where it's just about you have the, this one extreme set of options or this other extreme set of options, and there's like literally no crossover uh, for, for them. And what happens is it creates a sort, of, a sort of package deal, okay? So think of it like this, all right? Imagine that, okay, you guys, you guys know me. If I were gonna get cable, those of you who know me well probably know which two or three channels that I really would be wanting to watch, right? I would, if I, if I, like, like, if I wanted to get cable, it's because I want to watch some football, all right? So there's really three channels that I would be wanting to get. Let's say I just am like, I really want to get ESPN, NFL Network, and Fox Sports 1 so I can watch football games, all right? Now, here's the problem. I can't get just those three channels. If I want to get those three channels, I have to get cable. The only way to do that is to also now take on like 500 extra channels 
all of them which I don't want, right? That that's expressly was not what I was looking for when I bought this cable package. But I have to pay this huge price in order to get this small little thing that I wanted, right? And that's sort of this package deal that gets created. I think a lot of times you have people who kind of enter politics and they have, they have something, you know, one or two things that they kind of really care about. And they're like, okay, well, which party kind of agrees with me on that standpoint? And they find a party and then they're like, okay, cool, I guess I'm a part of this party now. And then they find, oh, wait, there's all these other things that you have to have a strong opinion about too. And you can't, you can't have any opinions of the other party because they're, they're the worst. Like, they are all idiots. They're all evil. They want to destroy the world. And so you have to agree with us on everything if you want to get these few things you care about. There's really no crossover anymore. It has gotten to a point where, and it, this isn't completely, you know, universal, but if you don't hold every issue on kind of the party's orthodoxy, you start to get squeezed out. You start to be marginalized a little bit unless you agree with all the certain points uh, of, of sort of, party orthodoxy. And that just makes it really difficult because we have to pay this big price if we want to commit to the few things that we care about. That's what makes this partisan environment we live in so difficult because it, you know, maybe you go in, you're like, I don't know if I agree with all these things, but I do care about these few things. And how do I care about these few things without also signaling that I, you know, I'm going to watch all these 500 other channels too? And the thing that makes this tough is, let's say that I do get cable, okay? Let's say that I cave, I'm like, I'm gonna pay 100 bucks or whatever to watch, you know, just to get these three channels. And let's say one night I, I am watching football, but it's kind of a blood, it's kind of a boring game. And so I'm like, and I'm just gonna channel surf a little bit. I'm bored, I don't have anything else to do. I'll see, I got, I'm paying for all these other channels. I might as well see what's on them, right? And I'm flipping around and I, and I, I accidentally get stuck on this crappy reality show on some obscure TV network that I never heard of before. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. But then I kind of keep watching and I'm like, okay, now I'm a little bit hooked, right? And then I'm like, that was, you know, wow, what just happened the last hour, you know? I'm never doing that again. But then next Tuesday, I'm like, well, I kind of want to see what happened to those people on that show. And so then I am hooked on this show, right? And I start to like, I start to watch all these crappy shows on cable because I paid this price for it. And I'm starting to like, kind of, you know, taking in all this crap, right? And that can happen a lot of times, I think, when you get stuck in a political party, you start to be formed by the views of that party, even if you didn't go in intending for that to happen. And I think that happens to us as Christians, where different positions that maybe we wouldn't think have anything to do with Christianity, we start to think, well, these are really important, and these are the most important things. And actually, if you're going to be a good Christian, you have to view the world, and you have to view this issue in this way. And really, it's just because we've been kind of stuck in this party, right? And so it just makes it so difficult uh, for us to kind of navigate, um, navigate these sort of partisan realities that we live in, okay? So I want to talk now about just like how do we navigate through this? How do we be faithful or loyal to our king and not a party in casting a vote in this sort of hyper-partisan context we live in, all right, without just sort of checking out, okay? So here's, here's what I want to do is I want to talk about five ways to honor God with your vote in this election season. Now, I know I have been getting good acronyms for this series, and I couldn't think of one for this one, so I apologize. You're just going to have to memorize all five of them, okay? So that's your homework for the week. But the first one here is actually, is actually a, about about voting in general, like voting in the presidential election and how we view it specifically, okay? And, and so the first thing is um, 
Don't reduce your political engagement to just the one decision that comes up every four years and has to do with voting for a president. All right? We, we, we often reduce political engagement to just one binary decision every four years. Okay? And, this, this, and again, it's a polarized decision. It's like these things are, you have to, they're very opposite of one another. And, and, I, and so everything comes down to this sort of really tough binary decision that we have to make every year. Okay? And, and it can sort of, I think it kind of feels like a lot of pressure on us. I think a lot of people feel that pressure every four years because they're like, man, this one decision is going to sort of define how I view every issue, right? Like, I have to attach myself to this one sort of binary decision because this is apparently the only, this is all that a political engagement looks like for us as Christians. And I just want to say, that's not true, okay? Like, you can take some pressure off yourself if, if you're kind of willing to engage beyond just one decision every four years. So there's a lot of ways you can sort of show how you view a lot of issues by doing more than just voting for president every four years. If you give yourself more opportunities to engage, you sort of allow yourself to express your full political views in more varied and full ways. All right, if you kind, of, you kind of make it so this one decision is one of many things that you're doing to kind of show how you view politics. So you can vote, you know, you can vote for more than just the president, right? You know that like there are other people on, on, on your ballot that you can vote for. And you don't have to vote for all Democrats or all Republicans on your ballot. You know that, right? You can, you can split your ticket. You can kind of say, I think in this setting I want this candidate and he happens to be of this party and, you, and in this situation I want this candidate and, and she happens to be in this party. Like, you can do that. You can kind of show that you have a fuller view than just the sort of polarized partisan uh, view that we have. And consider that Oftentimes, your local elections have a lot more impact than the, the presidential ones on the actual people who live in your city, who live around you. Okay, so, so be informed about that stuff. Also, vote in the midterms. Like, there are every two years, we have an election in November. It's not just the presidential one. We have important elections for Senate and the House and, and local elections every two years. Okay, so get out and vote in those. Historically, turnout is super low in midterms compared to presidential elections. But be informed. Go out and vote in, in, in all these uh, kind of varied ways. And don't just let the politicians, the people that are on the ballot, do all the work. Get involved in your own neighborhood and sort of helping the fortunes of people there. Okay, don't just think that the only people that can help people in my city who are hurting or people in, in my um, the place that I, that I live, the neighborhood that I'm in who are struggling, don't just think the only people that can save them are the politicians and you just have to pick one that's going to be the best for all of them. Okay, you can do other stuff too. We talked... We talked last week about how, I think as Christians, we're called to sort of help the government out, to sort of to view the government as something that we engage, that, that, is fun, that is good, it's fallen, it's broken, it's filled with fallen and broken people because of the fall, just like we are, but we can still try to help it live up to that calling. We can, we can do lots of other different sort of um, political engagement, whether it's advocacy, it's, it's petitions, it's public demonstrations, it's getting to know politicians personally, it's, it's going out and helping, you, you know, help helping out with different organizations that, that are working in your city. Just don't get locked in, into one vision, okay? Re, sort of resist the political agenda that says everything about you and, and your political engagement comes down to this one vote that you're going to cast every four years for president between these two polar opposite people, okay? It, that's, not, that's just not true, okay? There are more ways we can express ourselves than just that. Now, when we start to break ourselves from thinking that political engagement comes from just one decision that sort of defines me for the next four years, um, we can start to be thinking in a bigger picture. 
All right? And, and when we start to think in a bigger picture than just this sort of binary view, we can start to say, maybe, all, maybe Christian engagement is going to look different depending on, like, who you are and what, what God has called you to do. Maybe, maybe there's not one correct decision for all Christians for all times and places every, every four years that we have to pick. Okay, what if that wasn't true? And I think for me it was helpful to kind of read um, about an interaction between um, the St. Augustine. I brought him up a few times in the sermon series. He's an African bishop who lived in the, in the three and four hundreds. And he had this sort of letter correspondence with a Roman general um, and, and governor, a guy named Boniface. And these are two friends that kind of had this robust letter exchange. And Boniface, the, the, the general and the governor, genuinely wants to know, how do I sort of live in a public way, because that's what I do, in a way that honors God, that is Christian. And in that time and place, people couldn't vote. So there was only a few group of people, the kind of the elites or, or uh, emperors or governors, who were actually living in public life. So this is what Augustine had to say to this one guy who was living in, in the public life. Augustine kind of counsels Boniface through how um, he can do this sort of engagement with his, his um, public life in, in, in Christian ways. And, and he tells him, like, it's a big kingdom, right? The, the kingdom of heaven, this is how Augustine specifically talks about, the kingdom of heaven has lots of needs. And we as Christians have varied engagement for the good of society, the society that we live in. Even if our, our, our main citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, we can engage according to different callings or experiences or gifts that God has given us in, in a public setting in different ways. And so Augustine is saying, the, the people who are not the governors, I want you know, them to pray for you, and I want you to go out and protect them as a, as a general. Like, it's your job to sort of protect them, but they're protecting you through their prayers. You're kind of working together for the good of the society. And I think seeing that sort of harmony in the body in its uniqueness and placed there by God is good for us as Christians. And so this actually has kind of helps um, for the next two applications that I have here, the next two considerations that I have for us. The first one is in deciding how to vote, consider your calling and your experience or the setting that you live in, okay? Now, as Christians, we, we like to talk a lot about our calling. We like to talk about how God is calling us to a unique place of work, right? We like to talk about how God called us to a unique uh, college or a unique city or a unique neighborhood. Like, we like to talk about that stuff, right? We love our own uniqueness, especially in this very individual society we live in, and we like to talk about how God is calling us to different things. Why wouldn't we think that would extend into how we vote, too? I think it's kind of, actually, like, why wouldn't we consider more that maybe because of the city that we live in, the setting that we're in, the people that we interact with, we might start to think that God is sort of calling us to engage on behalf of what he's called us to do. Um, to, to, for us to serve God in, in specific ways where some Christians see some needs and engage politically by voting on that and other Christians see different needs and engage politically by voting for those and not seeing those in, as in conflict with one another but actually seeing this sort of varied, unique engagement from different Christians being different as a good thing. I think we can do that when it comes to voting. Okay? Because of where we live, we'll see different things. We live in an urban setting here in St. Paul or, or Minneapolis, right? So we're going to see the needs of the poor in a way that people who are living in a rural setting might not. Don't think that that's an accident. Maybe God actually wants us to see that so that we try to engage for, on, on behalf of the poor. We, we, we try to think about how we can help the poor. We can love our neighbor, like Julie talked about a couple weeks ago, through voting for them. But if you live in a rural setting and you see the needs of, say, farmers, 
maybe God has placed you there for that reason. So you can sort of try to vote in such a way that helps the good of the people that you're around too, right? It's important that like the government is working for uh, the good of farmers because we all need farmers to eat food, right? So like it, it's good that you, you have that lens, you have that, that setting. Or maybe because of your job, you have a, a specific view of things. If you work in healthcare, you start to see the good that policy and leaders can have on helping you care for people and helping your industry care well for people. Or if you work in the financial world, you can see the same thing. You can see, you know, I really think it would be beneficial for, for, for the people that I maybe help invest their money or, or something, or the, I'm an accountant for this company, like it would be good, and not in a, not in a, like a, uh, like a selfish way. It'd be good for us, you know, that we can get all the, you know, extra money. But I think it'd be good for everybody who engages financially if, like, policies were being set in this direction. Like, consider that God has given you those experiences for a reason. And, and, and take that into your voting and then start to see that, like, different Christians are going to have different experiences and that there can be harmony between different Christians voting differently because of that. Like, don't see that as a conflict between you know, all Christians having to vote a certain way and, and, and on every issue, but maybe it can work differently than that. Okay, we don't have to condemn each other. We can, we can have harmony. We can trust one another, trust what God is doing in people's lives. And the second one-off of that Augustine and Boniface um, uh, engagement is this. Consider that different eras in history may require different Christian political approaches. Okay, so here's some good news for everybody. Okay, the kingdom we're living in right now, the, the country of America, there's a lot of good stuff about America, but it is not the kingdom of God, all right? The, it, is not, it is not Jesus come to establish his kingdom on earth, and we got to get this one just right, or else, you know, everything God has been doing in the world has been messed up, right? It, we live in a fallen, we live in a broken world, and we have a hope that Jesus is going to come establish a kingdom someday that we are going to be uh, taking part in, where, and that will be perfect, because the king will be perfect, all right, so that means what we're living in right now is is a is a broken, messed up. Hope you know, hopefully, as much as we can make it a good sort of shadow of the kingdom to come, but but just that, just a shadow, not in in any way in its fullness. And that means that no one policy is going to fix it. It's it's the gospel that is the answer to everything. No one policy is going to make America become the kingdom of God suddenly. All right? And I think when we have that big picture view, like that we see the gospel as the thing that comes in, that saves us, that the gospel is the thing that brings the, the, the perfect kingdom to earth, both now and in the future when Christ reigns, it gives us a freedom to be controlled by that loyalty and start to have the long game in mind. And it starts to make us think that maybe one party or one ideology is not always the right uh, thing for every society and every setting throughout all of history. Like maybe different ideologies or approaches might be good in different specific historical settings. Right? Have you ever stopped to consider that? Like maybe it, there's not an unending, there's only one perfect society and we got to make sure we get it now. Maybe what's pressing right now, what we see is like, we see and hear people crying out for some reason. We see a great injustice in our society. Maybe we can be free to vote for that one thing right now and not vote for it you know, in a decade or two. Like, that's okay for us to do, to kind of take varied approaches to different elections. We don't have to approach every election for us the same, to, to, uh, to go a kind of election by election in our approach. And remember in that first sermon, we talked about tree beard, right? We talked, we called it the tree beard principle. There we go. That sounds very, um, 
very cool, I think, the tree beard principle. But remember, he talks about how, listen, at different times, I have a, I have a goal in mind, and I'm going to walk along the same path as you as you work towards the same goal too. That doesn't mean that I'm necessarily always on your side. It just means we're walking in the same direction right now. We as Christians can kind of move around, and we can have goals of our own, and if that leads us to walking along the same path as a political party or a politician for a time, that's okay. We're not married to them. We can, we can move off and continue on our own path when that, that time is done. Okay, We have that freedom as Christians to do that, and I think we need to sort of embrace that. The ultimate hope for us is not just winning by getting a Christian government in place now. It's by waiting and hoping for the kingdom to come in its fullness when Jesus comes and doing what we can now to sort of steward what God has given us well, but not putting our ultimate hope in bringing the perfect kingdom to bear now in our political action. All right, fourth thing. Consider the character of the candidate that makes decisions, not just their ideology. All right, we, we live in a very, 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 very practical world where we think the ends always justify the means, where we think, you know what, I don't, might not like that person, but they're getting my agenda through, and that's what really matters. And I would actually say for us as Christians, like we need to consider the character just as much as the ideology or the policies that a person is, is bringing and talking about. All right? It, and there's a, there's a practical reason for this too, okay? Let's say that you have someone who thinks all the same things as you do, but they're, like, they have terrible character. Can you really trust that that person is using the ideology or the principle or the policy that you care about in a way that is actually good? Or, or, or are you starting to wonder now if maybe they're wielding some of that stuff in a way that is, is, is not actually for, for people's good? Like just because they kind of have similar views as you, if their intent with those views is actually maybe cruel or, or, or at least very selfish, like shouldn't that be a problem for us? Shouldn't we distrust the way that they're wielding certain policies if that's, that's who they are? That should factor in for us, okay? And I think we become too practical sometimes in saying it's just as about winning, it's just about getting our thing through, that we don't consider the character uh, as much as we should. How can we trust that someone with bad character isn't just going to turn on us when it becomes advantageous for them to do it? If they all they care about is themselves, then what do we matter to them? Like, if, if we voted for them, like, if something more expedient comes up for them, like, they're not going to hesitate to throw us to a side as a voting block, right? So, so consider the character. Consider that, like, you can disagree with somebody, but if you trust their character, you trust that they actually care about the people that they're uh, going to be uh, representing, that you can say, okay, I don't agree with you, but I trust that you care about people. And so I trust that you have my good and the people around me. You have our good in mind. And maybe you're going about in a way that I don't agree with, but I at least trust you care about us. I think that that matters too, okay? We can, we can, we can uh, believe that stuff about people as well, okay? So, so think about the character, and I get it. A lot of politicians have bad character, okay? I know that that's true, but... Some politicians have worse character than others, okay? Like, don't just throw them all in a bag and say they all suck, so let's just get whatever, you know, policy is best for us through. Let's consider that, like, yeah, it's not a firm foundation that we're walking on when we're dealing with some of the people that are running for office, but some people are worse than others, okay? All right, finally, vote the full council of the kingdom, not just one single issue, all right? Now, the kingdom is big, and I talked about having varied approaches, like different Christians who kind of have unique callings or unique things that they're being called to. 
Um, and, and that's a good thing, right? There's harmony in that. We have, just like we talk about the body of Christ is made up of different people with different gifts, like different people have different experiences and God is the one who's over all of it and he's the one who's giving those experiences and those callings out and that's good. Like we trust God that he's not doing that in a way that is messed up in some way, okay? But I still think we at least have to have in mind that the, the kingdom of God is more than just one thing, all right? We have to believe that that's true. The kingdom, it's, it's a big thing and it meets all different needs. And I think at times we should emphasize, emphasize some based on the issues that we see, okay? And th- that's why it, it's good, but we have to remember the sort of big picture approach that all these different things matter to God in all sorts of different ways, all right? So I, I think we can get locked in sometimes to, to one issue of, as if one issue is the most important thing, but remember, the kingdom of God is a big thing, all right? And, and remember that um, acronym we talked about in the first sermon series, CASH, um, these, these four things kind of make up, I think, in its, in its fullness, or at least approaching it, what the kingdom of God is about. Capacity for human evil. We, ha- we should have attention to the least of these. We should care about stewarding God's gifts, and we should create, care about humility, that Christ-likeness is a valued thing. Now, as we wrap the sermon series up, I was trying to think about, like, how do, we, how do we close this sermon series well? A lot of people are feeling a lot of different things in this election, I know, and I want to try to speak to you where you're at. And, and, and I think the best thing to say is, no matter what happens on Tuesday, right, no matter what your fears might be on either side, Jesus is sovereign, and in turbulent times, we can rely on him and trust in him. Now, I know that's a bit cliche to say, right? You can find that on coffee mugs or on Instagram profiles or just, you know, you can find a lot of bunch of random Bible verses for that. And, and I know you're all like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to believe that, Joel, but I'm still pretty freaked out. How do I know that in this situation that Jesus is going to remain sovereign? I don't have any guarantee of that. And we really like certainty, right? We, we really like to know how everything is going to work out before we're willing to allow ourselves to feel safe and comfortable. And so um, I, I think... Like, for us to really dig into what that sovereignty looks like and, and, and to remove ourselves from the cultural moment that we are in right now can be helpful, all right? Because, like, th- these are turbulent times. They're unprecedented times, perhaps, but they're only unprecedented for you and your, like, experience, right? Just because it seems crazy to you doesn't mean that the turbulent times we're living in are completely unique to history and no one's ever dealt with anything like it because that's not true okay just because you feel something you've never felt before with what's going on right now doesn't mean no one else has ever felt that way and i think when we break out of that being prisoners of the moment and we sort of see that god has been faithful to his people god has delivered his people god has remained sovereign in other situations that were just like this or even crazier we can start to feel a little bit more secure not knowing what's going to happen Tuesday or what's going to happen after Tuesday. We can sort of find some hope in connecting to the ways in which God has been faithful uh, beyond just this one time where we don't know exactly what God is going to do or what's going to happen specifically after this. And I was reflecting on a passage in Isaiah in chapters 36 to 38 where you have this faithful king, his name is Hezekiah, over over the the southern nation of Judah, and there's this political turmoil going on in the world around him. You have got um, the nation of Assyria, 
or the army of Assyria, and they're surround, they've surrounded Jerusalem. They've cut Jerusalem off. It's a blockade. No one can get in or out of Jerusalem, um, although they do build a secret tunnel out, which is kind of a cool story. Um, but, but like, no one can, is supposed to get in or out, right? They're, they're trapped. And, 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 and the king of Assyria comes to the gates, and he, tells, he delivers a message to Hezekiah, and he says, and this guy's name is Sennacherib. This is the king of Assyria. And basically, he tells Hezekiah and the people of Israel, everyone listening, I think he has a guy like yelling out to the city so everyone can hear, your God is not going to save you right now. I don't see your God anywhere. All I see is my army and all these horses and all these uh, bows and arrows and all these spears that people in my army are holding right now. I don't see your God anywhere. He's not going to come save you. Your king, Hezekiah, he's not going to save you either, all right? Only by making a bargain with me can you live. And if you do, I promise that I will make your fortunes great. You will be so happy that you chose to uh, serve me as your king. I will make everything much greater than your king, Hezekiah, or your God could ever do. All you have to do is bow down to me. Give me your allegiance, now imagine how people are feeling, Hezekiah and the people of Israel. They're probably fear, feeling some fear, some pressure. They're, they're starting, they're hearing these messages and they're thinking, this guy, Sennacherib, he might be right. I don't see God anywhere. I, but I do see that arrow that's pointed right at me. <laughs> like, that's freaking me out, all right? I am, I am feeling the fear right now. And, and, and you're starting to maybe feel some pressure to give into the words of this king, this political leader, in him telling everyone, you need me, you need me. Right? I'm the one that's going to keep you safe. Okay? But Hezekiah and the people of Israel, they don't give in. Even in the uncomfort, even in the unease, they actually take that unease, they take that discomfort as a moment to really truly ask themselves, do we believe that our God keeps us safe? Do we actually believe that in our bones, not just in something we say or that we, maybe we, 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 we read in a Bible verse and it makes us feel better some morning over a cup of coffee, but then we don't think about it the rest of the day? Like, do we actually, when, it, when, when everything, you know, at rock bottom, when the crap hits the fan, like, is, do we believe this? Is that something we believe in our bones? And they do. They remain firm in believing it, and God delivers them. Assyria backs off, Sennacherib perishes, and, and Israel remains Israel. And I think different historical moments, including our own, people might feel similar. You might, you might, we might feel like we, we, you know, only one political leader is going to be the one to keep us Christians safe or keep the world safe, right? We, we might kind of believe they're, 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 them telling us, like, we're the ones who are going to keep you safe. Like, your God isn't going to do anything, right? Your, your Christianity, that, none of that stuff is going to matter. It just comes down to me and, and my agenda or me and my policy or me and my government that I'm going to put in place if you elect me or you re-elect me. We start to believe that that's the only thing that's going to keep us safe. But let's take our place this election, you guys, with the faithful people of Israel and of all other Christian generations in believing in our bones, even in the unease, even in the uncertainty, even as we don't know what's going to happen. Let's take our place with faithful Christians from all history in trusting God and waiting for him to be the one who keeps us safe and putting our ultimate hope in his kingdom that he brings through his son Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection and in the future for us someday. I'm going to pray to close us, and then we will uh, enter into a time of worship and communion. God, as we, uh, as we enter into this crazy, turbulent, um, 
earth-shattering election as it can feel sometimes, and it is important, Lord, um, for sure. I don't want to downplay the importance of elections and, and, and especially of this one because I do believe that this, this, is a, this is a big deal, what's happening on Tuesday, what has been happening in our country, all the things, all the issues that are wrapped up in it. Either way, Lord, it all matters, Lord. Um, but I pray that whatever happens, Lord, that you would keep us safe. You would give us, a, a, you would be faithful to your people as you have been so many other times in history in situations like this and even, and even worse ones, God. I pray that we would find our hope in you and, Lord, that we would truly uh, know and understand through experience, as we rely on you in this setting, that, that you are a God who is faithful, that we can stand firm on you and you alone, God, um, and that we don't need to, to look to other people to save us, God, to look to political idols who, who promise us salvation, God, but we can look to you and our worship of you will give us deliverance, God. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.